What is up, guys? Welcome back to the Early Read Bowl Special Part 1 of a three-part bowl preview. We're going to be going game by game, getting you ready for the 2023 college football bowl season. And to do that, called back an old friend, was on the Pac-12 preview, one where I went back and listened to it, and we happened to have our finger on the pulse of the Pac-12 in terms of who we like to maybe outperform expectation, maybe who we thought would struggle a little bit. Uh, some of the sleeper teams in the Pac-12, which was arguably the most exciting conference in college football this season. So it is none other than JD at Yonkers CFB. JD does great work with covers, sports grid, and Debbie Watch. JD, welcome back to the early read. How's it going? It's going great. Yeah, I actually just listened to that one too because I was like, I feel like we nailed a lot of it. And I went back to listen to see if we did. Um, you talked me off the US USC ledge, so you absolutely crushed that. And then we're sitting there. <laughs> I'm like, Michael Penix, this guy's going to win the Heisman. No, and if not, Bo Nix. And uh, yeah, they're pretty much lined up. I guess uh, we didn't see the Arizona uh, out of nowhere happening, but I don't really think many others did. So glad to be back on because we crushed it last time. Yeah, uh, to we I haven't done an episode, gave myself the week off uh, after conference championship week, going back through the win totals, 14 and eight preseason episodes, plus about like depending where you got it, I tracked plus 2.85 units on the win total. So pretty successful there. None of those long shot outrights got home like UNLV, which uh, that team crashed and burned but we move on we got bowl season uh for some some people don't really subscribe to bowl season i personally happen to love bowl season i think it's a super profitable situation if you are looking in the right places if you get ahead of some steam ahead of some opt-out news and you play these games more based on information rather than maybe your typical x's and o's i think it could be a super profitable uh strategy to go about these and betting these maybe a little bit more intense jd i know you're a little bit more hands-off maybe you like to get involved a little bit later in the process i know these opened up right after uh the conference championships ended and these games were announced these games are going to start this saturday december 16th uh there's a lot of steam on game day when you really get confirmation some of these guys are out some of these guys are in the portal or whatever but jd i guess before we get going how do you go about betting bowls if you're super interested or you're a little bit more hands-off? Yeah, I, I'm a little more hands-off. Um, I, I see there's value because the lines move a lot. So I see the value in sitting and waiting around for news. In my opinion, like you get news on one or two people and maybe you're ahead on them if you're trying to make an early move. But then there's three, four, five, ten more, uh, you know, opt-outs that happen later, transfers, injuries, whatever that happened later before kick that you find out about. So in my opinion, it's not a game I like playing. I, there, there could be an edge to it. I like to sit back and wait. Uh, last year we crushed it. I was trying to find my record. Um, gave out picks last year for every single game and, and crushed it just waiting. Um, mm -hmm. if, if you know who the players are, if you're sitting around, you're going to get that information eventually anyway. So I like sitting around. I like waiting. Um, that way you get your nice weather reports, opt-outs, injuries. It is a mess. So, like, I'm finding it hard to get excited. I'm not excited at all for bull season yet. I love bull season. I will be there. It's like, oh, my God, the season was a grind. Let me take a week off. Let me let me relax. And then, what for me, this is one where I'm checking everything up until kick. I am checking what the reports are, who's been practicing. If a player opts out, is the player I expect to be in there actually practicing and getting starters reps? Like, what are we able to find? So, I like sitting back. Um, you get more information because the games are televised. They're on different networks. They're playing different conferences. You have two different conferences. Like if the Mac, you're not going to get news on the Mac. Maybe if they're playing a Sunbelt team, the local Sunbelt can get out. So I personally like sitting around and waiting for the best info. And 
there's no right or wrong, right? Like there's some where I bet these the day they came out anticipating opt-outs, line moves, and we're going to get into a few of those that have moved pretty dramatically on the anticipation that, you know, especially we're talking earlier bowl games, we have a little bit lower level NFL prospects. You know, there's an inclination that some of these guys might be opting out. Some guys might be hitting the portal, won't be playing in this game, and you could get ahead of some line moves. But there's also a lot where, sure, you might not have a crazy number because these lines are going to move six, seven points sometimes. But you could still bet this on game day and be just as profitable. You know, they, I wouldn't say the line in most of these bowl games are as important or as truly efficient as it might be week 13 big 10 matchup where you have two um you have two you know familiar foes where we have a lot of data points you could bet this at the time of post and still you know crush this and might be have a real edge when you see just looking at the board here you know you see ohio has four skill position players down they're going to be a shell of their team you might not it might not matter that they're only catching at this point three and a half against Georgia Southern. They might get smoked in the game and it, the number isn't as important where you're betting Iowa, Nebraska on black Friday. Those are key numbers where you have a real beat on who's going to be in these games and how these teams are going to match up. So I think bowl season being as uh, stringent to your numbers, obviously I'm not saying bet recklessly, but I'm, I don't know if you need to be like, as off like some of these numbers might be way off when we look back and be like wow that team closed three and they got absolutely trounced i remember last year fresno state washington state i believe washington state opened a considerable favorite against fresno state got in there early i had a feeling that fresno state who finished strong jake hanger was going to probably play they won the mountain west wazoo every day it felt like there's another opt-out another opt-out and all of a sudden it was a skeleton team and i think fresno state closed I don't remember off the top of my head. Maybe JD, you do, but like clear favorite, definitely over a field goal. I don't want to say it was over a touchdown, but Fresno won by like 25. Like the, the number did not matter. You covered every number by a mile. So I do think there's some interesting situations that come up in bowl season that make it a unique betting experience. Yeah, absolutely. There's um there's adjustments I make. I usually don't make quite as much. The conferences one, that's that's one I even adjust as I go. Like if a team I I think was in a decent conference and played well against opponents, goes out there and gets absolutely shellacked by a team I wasn't expecting, that is one I will adjust on the fly. I will change multiple picks based on that. So it's a hard adjustment. You have to be kind of tuned in just because one team gets blown out in one conference doesn't mean the whole conference sucks. You have to actually make it, you know, smart. Uh, based on prior data points, what changes in your prior data points? By now, we're dealing with more data points than we've had. The Bulls are a different sort of data points because, yes, we have non-conference data points, but that's early in the season. So if a team has changed, right, it isn't we're now getting an end-season data point that I actually sometimes find meaningful, like especially if the team's playing their starters. Like if the Sun Belt goes out there and loses its first two games, I think everyone's going to be surprised what kind of adjustments are we going to need to make, for example. Absolutely. So let's get into it. We're, so this episode, this is, again, three-part episode. How we're going to do it is we're going to do the first slate of bowls through Christmas. December 23rd is the final day. I just use Christmas because that's the day off. And then next week, we're going to come out with a new episode that's going to give all the bowls up to New Year's Day. And then I'm going to do a final episode, college football playoff uh, and New Year's Six Bowls. And then, of course, we'll do a little mini episode. Won't count as a full one because it's only one game, national championship, of course. Okay. Let's start this sojourn. Some of these are going to be uh, a 
quick conversation. Some of these are going to be a little bit more interesting depending on who is in and out. We start Saturday morning, 11 a.m. kick, the Myrtle Beach Bowl, Georgia Southern versus Ohio. A lot of the conversation could be directed on who is not playing for Ohio. Ohio will be down Curtis Rourke, who's in the transfer portal. Backup C.J. Harris is also out, so it's going to be Parker, Parker Navarro starting for the Bobs. Ohio is also down their two starting running backs in, say, Bangura and Allison. So it's Ohio offense that struggled at times this season is going to be down pretty much everyone on offense. Uh, I don't know if Wiglos is going to play, but this is a skeleton crew for Ohio's offense. Georgia Southern, don't believe there's going to be many opt-outs at last I checked. And the market has moved, I think, pretty predictably here. Ohio opened around like short of a field goal favorite, total of 52 and a half. Now sitting Georgia Southern favored by three and a half, total of 48. Uh, JD, before I pass it to you, this offense for Georgia Southern screeched to a halt at the end of the season. Really, really fell off after a six and two start. Looked like they were going to win the Sun Belt East. Uh, they got smoked to close the year. They allowed 45, 38, 20, and or they and scored and 30, yeah, 45, 38, 20, and 55 to close the year. So the defense fell off. Davis Brin looked like he ran out of gas. So this offense, the whole team really fell apart. They lost the last four. They limp into this game. They're not playing an Ohio team. Stout defense. Offense wasn't the same as it was last year, and now they have nobody. Any thoughts and opinions on this one? Yeah, I think the movement is in the correct place. Shorthanded Ohio mm -hmm. team that ranks 131st in explosiveness to start. The offense didn't work, and it was supposed to work. Alvin's an offensive-minded coach. Uh, we have one prior data point of Georgia Southern playing a MAC team, and they beat Ball State 40-3. to Ball State averaged 3.5 yards per play. Didn't even get to 200 yards. So, obviously, that's only one data point, but Ball State wasn't like they were an absolutely terrible uh, mm -hmm. MAC team, right? So, I like that. Um, but the unders what sticks out to me. You mentioned it with all the Ohio guys. Georgia Southern's defense stinks, but um, – I don't know when they, they they haven't played many teams that are this bad offensively. And the Sun Belt has some capable offensive team. Ohio would be one of the worst uh, offenses in the Sun Belt. They were one of the worst offenses in the MAC somehow, with, even with all the talent they have. Uh, and then on the flip side, you mentioned Georgia Sutton should be pretty much healthy, but Davis Brin is not a good quarterback, man. 16 interceptions, <laughs> 6.7 yards per attempt. Ohio's nasty defensively. Um, and most of the opt outs are on the offensive side. And the only concern we have injury wise with Georgia Southern, their star running back, Jalen White, missed the. Uh, the season finale. So they're not sure what his status is. Sounds like even if he plays, he's not hundred percent. So I like the under here under 48. Yeah. This was one of my earlier plays, the under, which obviously it shifted off of the Rourke news. So I agree with you here. 48, obviously shorter, but uh, Ohio's defense best unit on the field with a bullet, probably of like the four between the offense and the defenses. And if Ohio's going to go with this slow or with like a non-proven quarterback in Navarro, the team was already slow, 110th in place per minute. So I, I, I doubt all of a sudden they're going to go like fast, up-tempo offense. I think they're going to want to slow this and grind this out. Georgia Southern defense might be a concern, but I don't really think Ohio is going to chuck this one around the yard. I To me, this looks like a dead-under game. Early kick, if that matters. Um, yeah, I, I've now that Georgia Southern's like laying over a field goal, they're probably the right side given what's left of the Ohio team, but I'm just – not rushing to lay this team in bowl play. I, I was hoping, honestly, this team would be a fade. Uh, but obviously, just given who they're going up against, I just I it's a no touch here uh, on the side. But I completely agree with you on the total uh, 48. I still think is pretty good given what's left of this Ohio offense.
moving on, still on that Saturday slate, 215 at the Superdome in New Orleans. Jacksonville State gets into a bowl game their first season. The FBS ranks not enough qualified teams. Puts Jacksonville State in. They will take on Louisiana, the Raging Cajun. Game opened around a pick'em. Shot up to Jacksonville State minus three. I agree with that move. I think Jacksonville State has a leg up on this Louisiana team. Total 59 and a half. Any thoughts on this matchup, JD? Louisiana, kind of a hot and cold team. They've had to cycle through quarterbacks. Jacksonville State, meanwhile, I think has really, and this is a team I was on preseason, thought that there was some untapped potential there, and they realized they had a really strong season. But Conference USA, I think we could confidently say, is probably the worst conference in college football this season. So will it translate to bowl season? Uh, what are your thoughts here on the RNL Carriers New Orleans Bowl? I totally agree. It's the conference that has me worried. Um, I, mm-hmm. I like Jacksonville State this year. They were a great team to bet on, and I just really liked their their makeup, um, right? It's a rich rod offense, even though their advanced metrics weren't great offensively. I mean, they found a way in the end zone against these Conference USA teams. Uh, now, is that going to last here against Louisiana? I don't know. I, I do like the fact that Louisiana is not great against the rush, 120th rushing uh, success rate. That against a, a tempo rich rod team, I think it's a decent matchup. Um, and Jacksonville State, I like defensively, man. They're nasty up front. These guys are sixth in line yards, sixth in EPA per rush, sixth in rushing success rate. That has to set you up well because you have a backup quarterback, essentially your third stringer, Chandler Fields. Uh, you're going to make him beat you. So this is enough that I still like Jacksonville State because I like him as a team. I like the matchup. I'm a little worried Conference USA land points against the Sunbelt team. Louisiana's a little hot and cold. Uh, I think a lot of people are kind of throwing in the trash here. I could see this one being a very good game, but I'd prefer to be on uh, Jacksonville State side here. I agree. This would be favorite or pass, in my opinion. Given I just you mentioned the rush defense and just some more numbers here. Louisiana, 118th in defensive line yards. They're constantly being pushed back. And you saw this down the stretch of the season. The defense just really didn't put up much of a fight. You're playing a Jacksonville State team. They're 20th in run blocking grade. They were fourth in the country in terms of runs of 20 or more yards. Uh, Zion Webb can't really throw the ball downfield, but I mean, there's a bunch of game breakers here on on this Jacksonville State offense. I also, again, I feel like like you're trying to sound insightful and you don't want to say like, oh, well, this team's going to get up for this bowl game or like this team's going to be motivated. But when you're talking bowl games and you're so locked in on college football and kind of reading the tea leaves and seeing how these teams have performed over like the arc of the season – like, yeah, I do think motivation plays a serious factor. Who's going to get up for this game? You don't think Jacksonville State, who had this dream run uh, nearly, I mean, pretty much a Conference USA, the third best team. First year in FBS, they end up getting bowl eligible. I think if there's a team that's going to show up, it's going to be Jacksonville State comparative to Louisiana, who looks like they're kind of on like a downward arc after Billy Napier left, start right, running through quarterbacks. I, I think Jacksonville State could get up for this game. I think they could win this game. I know Louisiana has like the home field advantage kind of playing uh, in New Orleans, but I still think Jacksonville State on a fast track nonetheless could, uh, I think, win and cover the three. Lean towards the over also, because I think if Louisiana is going to stay in this game, that probably means it's a high scoring affair, right? That probably means that this game is pushing 30s. For both teams? Most likely. Unless they just kind of shut down that run game and it's like, well, 
uh, Jacksonville State's metrics weren't great against bad teams. Maybe Louisiana outperforms, but I kind of agree with you. Like I remember that Southern Miss game uh, three weeks ago. I played Southern mm-hmm. Miss and I played the over and both hit. And it's kind of a similar archetype. Like just Southern Miss can't stop the rush, but Jacksonville State can. But I, like if Southern Miss ran all over them that bad, uh, if Southern Miss threw for 260, I mean, Richrod's going to have to scheme up points here is what I would imagine. Yeah. Also, I doesn't hurt. I know the coaching cycle is kind of over, but Richrod maybe uh, – put some good tape out there uh, for uh, some future prospects getting back up into maybe the power five ranks. So we see the game similarly. Let's see if we could keep kind of the opinions the same with the avocados from Mexico, Mexico Cure Bowl between Miami, Ohio, App State, again, Saturday, December 16th, 3.30 Eastern kick uh, from Orlando. Miami, I mean, this was – Three and a half total 47. This is so far, these are going to be two of the most like highly touted teams from the group of five ranks because you do have App State who went to the Sun Belt Championship going up against Miami who won the MAC title. Miami not going to have their start, their backup quarterback who started the MAC Championship, Avion Smith. He's in the portal. App State likely going to be about Nate Noel who's also in the portal. This number has since shifted though. Towards the App State side, App State currently a six-point favorite. Totals dropped to 44.5, probably baked into the Miami being on a third-string quarterback. Uh, This is as of Tuesday night around 8.30 Eastern. So, J.D., we got two conference championship participants, one conference champion. I don't – Avion Smith's pretty terrible to begin with, so I don't know how much he's actually going to impact the spread. But uh, any opinions here on the Cure Bowl? I really wanted to get to Miami. I still lean with them at the plus six and a half. It's definitely sketchy. Third string quarterback, Mac team going on a team that played for the Sunbelt Championship. But um, I still like Miami. It's a team I want to be on. You mentioned it. Smith wasn't very good anyway. They didn't really rely on him much. If you, if you watch the games, right, their offense wasn't really looking to have Smith make a ton of plays. Uh, he did make a few plays with his legs. But, like, this, this defense was really good. They're very well coached. And you're playing an App State team that – like they had played a lot better there, especially their defense, right? They played great against James Madison, held them to 4.4 yards per play mm-hmm. in that one with the huge upset. They finished the year. They, they looked like a new defense because they were terrible defensively was the story to me. I said they had a run of great coaches. Now it looks like the coaching's dropping off. App State's taking a step back. Second half of the year, I have to say, well, maybe that's wrong. Maybe they just took a while to get going. Then Troy did what they did to him, ran for 270 and five touchdowns in the Sunbelt Championship game. They got ran over after it looked like they were improving. So I don't trust App State. Um, you know, they, they were – a, a team that played for the Sunbelt Championship, but it was kind of a weak entrant anyway, right? Um, so overall, I still lean towards Miami. I, I, I think they could be more motivated here um, where, right? Like they beat Cincinnati early in the year, right? Like this team has shown some things, yep. whereas whereas App State, I mean, they're, they're always in close games. Why can't Miami muck this one up? Yeah, that, especially now we're like pushing a like near a touchdown here. I kind of lean towards the Miami side. I mean, like, let's just go back to the Toledo game. 23-14 Miami wins. Avion Smith in that game, he ran the ball 21 times. He had one huge run. He took a few sacks, but 99 total rushing yards. But a lot of that came from, like, one big run. He was 6-16 in the game for 109 yards. So I I, I don't really know, like, what this Miami offense is going to do anything. Anyway, The defense has been nails all season long. Uh, They're 22nd in EPA per play overall. Uh, The team has been a covering machine, 10 and 3. 
to me, like, I think both teams are probably going to show up and want to compete in this one. It should be a, you know, I don't expect one team to lay an egg necessarily. I, I kind of thought about the under at first, but now it's kind of dripped down where I'm, I'm not super interested. Uh, If you want to talk though, App State, Joey Aguilar, honestly, super, I mean, App State stumbled into this one because Ryan Berger was the week one starter and they stumbled into Aguilar. Um, he's been able to chuck the ball all around the field. Top 10 in EPA per pass this season. One thing I will say, though, um, that Aguilar, super, super uh, turnover prone. He's thrown a ton of turnover-worthy plays as I pull up his uh, PFF page. Uh, Aguilar, I think, got away with a lot of turnover-worthy plays. He had So he had a 33-9 to touchdown-to-interception ratio. When you look into his big time throw turnover worthy play rate, 27 big time throws to 28 turnover worthy plays. So be careful with Aguilar against you know, arguably he faced a who's who of defense already, but uh, maybe Miami's able to take the ball away from him. So no play for me here. I'm going to be on the sidelines for this one, but I agree with you. I kind of lean towards that Miami side. Uh, any other thoughts on the cure bowl before we move on here? No, just my last thought is, yeah, Aguilar's been terrific. Yeah. And, like, week after week, like I've, I've been noting, like, he's played some decent defenses, but, like, every decent defense he's faced has been a pass-funnel team, like a team that's better against the rush than the pass. So, like, it kind of makes sense he's having this nice games. Then he had another pretty good game against Troy. He almost threw for 300. So, like, I don't know how long I can keep pointing this out, but every week I note that, whereas Miami, I know they're a MAC team, but, like, I still wouldn't be surprised if they kind of surprise some people here. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, just go through – hey, Miami's been amazing all year, but um, – you, know, you just go through who they beat. I mean, just I know it's not a lot of competition. I know Cincinnati stinks, but they went on the road and beat Cincinnati in overtime. They hung tough with Toledo the first time around, and then get them in the MAC title game. They win at Ohio by double digits. I just, you know, they play these grinding games yet are still the defense has been so impressive. And don't sleep on their special teams play either. I believe their kicker won the uh, nation's best kicker I saw. So he won some sort of national award. So, uh, don't sleep on Miami's special teams play either playing a role in this one. Staying with Saturday, though, I mean, there, there's a ton of games on Saturday. In the uh, New Mexico Bowl, 545 from Albuquerque, New Mexico State taking on Fresno State. Two teams, and we want to talk about motivation. I do think that there might be uh, two teams trending in opposite directions here. Fresno State falls flat on their face to end Mountain West play. Won't have head coach Jeff Tedford. He's out for medical reasons. New Mexico State lose in the Conference USA title game, but I mean, what a run for them. Eight straight to close the year. But Diego Pavia did get banged up in that game. I think the indication is he's going to play. Last I saw, uh, the backup, honestly, uh, Berlowitz looked all right, honestly, in the Conference USA title game. Market has shifted towards the New Mexico State side. They're three and a half point favorites. 51's the total. Any thoughts here, JD, on the New Mexico Bowl? This is one I can't get to New Mexico State here um, as that favorite okay. over a field goal. Um, they've been great this year, and it's kind of like some of their lines haven't made sense to me. Like, I get that they hadn't really played anybody, but they kept playing these Conference USA teams. It's like, well, this is where they're going to fall off. They're still in Conference USA. They're still playing this is a similar level of opponents. So I, I've liked New Mexico State um for most of the year but this year i i just i can't have any faith right now because pavia like they said he got an mri on his elbow and he's good to play yeah but how good is he right like he that was a 
That was a conference championship game. He would have played if he was able to. And then they're losing Hudson, their wide receiver, who has 10 touchdowns on the year. Um, I will point out their offensive line's been pretty good, sixth in line yards. Um, usually that's something I look for if they're going to be overmatched, if there is a step up in competition. So I think their offensive line might be okay. I think they're going to have some success. Um, Fresno State, like isn't super encouraging at anything they're not a team i've played in a long time um, they're super they're like the definition of mid like they're right they just like a, a bang up like probably like top 60 team like they are just fine like they have good players they're nothing special there's nothing special like they're in the 50s yeah. 60s or 70s on like pretty much every metric i look at um so i i just can't get there though i just i think that fresno state right this is tedford stepping down um, for health reasons mm. after this, are they going to be motivated for the coach? I haven't really seen any opt-outs or transfer transfers. If I start seeing those, I'll second-guess it. But it seems like they're pretty much playing for their guy here. Um, I, I, I just know as, as the underdog here. No play for me. This opened, like, there were some, like, soft openers that were, like, a pick. Minus one New Mexico State. And I, I just didn't get to it. And then it flew up through three. And I'm like, all right, like, I'll see. Make sure Pavi is playing. Like, this is one where if I play it, it will be right before post see who's on the field, see the reports, make sure we're good to go. And then I can make an opinion. Uh, if there's one thing that I see for the case for Fresno State that I have down in my notes, New Mexico State is a uh, defense that struggles against the pass. They're bottom 10 in explosive pass rate, and they're allowing eight yards per pass. They're also 98th in coverage grade. I know Mikey Keene in and out of the lineup hasn't been like that same offense, obviously, without Jake Hayner. Maybe this is a game where this one could get points. And you mentioned this is a step up in class for New Mexico State, just given their schedule. Look at who they've played. The Conference USA has been poor. Maybe this is where you see that drop off in play and in talent. And maybe Fresno State's able to win this one. I'm curious to see where this goes. Because I, I personally think, just given the sentiment around this game, you're going to see a lot of love for New Mexico State in this one. You're going to see a lot of people run into the Jerry Kill, Diego Pavia train, which I was part of it during the regular season. I wonder how far out this could go. I do feel like I bowl games, it feels like it's like one-sided action and you're not really seeing like a push and pull in the market because no one like there aren't real like num like no one's really making a a number per se. It's not like your typical regular season game like we mentioned before. So I do wonder how far out this could go and maybe come back in on the Fresno State side. Moving on, the LA Bowl. UCLA, Boise State, a lot of, lot of moving parts here. So UCLA opens a small favorite. Money comes in on Boise because they win the Mountain West title. Maybe they're coming on to something under the interim Spencer Danielson. Dante Moore hits the portal. Not that he was going to start, but whatever. Now, wrong game week. A lot of action back towards UCLA. We're out to a four-point favorite, total of 49. Let's go through uh, who's playing and who's not playing. Taylor Green, he is now an Arkansas Razorback, so he will not be playing, and neither will the backup Maddox Madsen. So if I'm not mistaken, it will be freshman C.J. Tiller getting the snaps here. Ashton Genty, star running back for Boise State, he is back. So Boise's run game will be there. UCLA, Latu, probably not playing. He's going pro. Dante Moore won't be playing, but Chase Garber should be good. And if Garbers doesn't go, I believe Colin Schley was practicing right before the end of the regular season. Uh, so UCLA, not a ton of key contributors out, given what you'd think, even though they did lose defensive coordinator D'Anthony Lynn to USC. 
That's a whole lot of stuff, though, J.D. How are you looking at this one? UCLA Boise in the L.A. Bowl. So, of course, this is in UCLA's neighborhood if they want, if, you know, the Bruin faithful wants to get up for this one. Yeah, I am having trouble getting there with a team missing this many players as a favorite, personally. Um, the Chip Kelly stuff is weird to me, man. Going back and looking through their games, like, they announced he's coming back. And he loses to Cal to end the year. They just had some like total, total dog crap performances. And they announced mm-hmm. he's coming back. Like, like you, you lost to Arizona State and you're bringing the guy back. Like, I, the offense has been so bad. Um, Carson Steele wasn't at practice um, on Monday. So who knows if he's going to play? You haven't had a passing game all year. You lose Keegan Jones, who's been doing some fun stuff for you. Cam Brown, rotational receiver, one of your linemen. The line is underperformed as well. Um, and what you've been able to hang your hat on is Danton Lynn's defense. Danton Lynn deserves all the roses, yeah. all the flowers. That was such a turnaround. It was amazing. Did not see that coming. Um, sounds like most of the defense is going to play as of now, except for Latu, who is one of the most disruptive forces in college football. Huge loss. But you're still giving me that defensive front against the third-string quarterback. Uh, it's going to be like Boise State, third-string quarterback, Ashton Genty. I know he's amazing, but against this defensive front as, like, the only option, missing your top three wide receivers, I guess I guess I can see why the UCLA money's coming in. For me, it just more so says under than anything. UCLA unders have been good all year, and now you're facing a third-string quarterback. Uh, I, I could sign up for one more under. Yeah, I played some early UCLA just when, like, when, when Green hit the portal and it was, like, two – I played like some cheap money line because I was I, for the same reason you mentioned it's a UCLA defensive line, even with that law too, is going to have like some significant advantages here against a third stringer who Taylor, I don't believe has played before maybe, you know, garbage mop up duty. But uh, to me, like this was like, all right, UCLA could probably suffocate him and Boise's defense. If there is a spot where you could get them, it's in the secondary all year I've been harping on this, that Boise secondary to me has been unimpressive all season. You go through, you know, they got cooked by Washington, but who who didn't at that level. But like Memphis hung 35 on them. Colorado State hung 31 on them in a comeback. Like it was the, the ground and pound running teams that really struggled against Boise State. But even if UCLA wants to run the ball, like they still have a, like Garbers has proven to be competent enough that I think he can navigate a poor secondary, especially a Mountain West one at bat. So I do lean towards the UCLA side. And like, this is one where I could see come game day and like the limits go up and people really see like, oh, Boise starting a third stringer, like a true freshman against a Pac-12 defensive line. Like I could see this one really pushing towards UCLA. Maybe it's wrong and misguided, but like that's one where I could foresee some steam on the UCLA side all the way up towards game time. The more I think about it though, I'm pondering like a go for the middle if it hits a certain point and take the under. I was between UCLA and the under, and I still like the under. I think if I don't envision Boise putting up many points in this one, even if UCLA isn't super locked in, like if Boise is going to win, it will be a defensive effort. It won't be like a, a crazy shootout type game, even on a fast track at SoFi. So I completely agree with you on this under, um, I lean towards the UCLA side, just purely talent-based, even if UCLA doesn't try. I know Boise interim gets promoted and, you know, they're rah-rah, but, like, 
you don't have Taylor Green, who really looked like he was unleashed in the last three games. I I just I struggle to see Boise really getting much going on offense. Maybe the under is probably the better play. I especially Boise's been over a field goal. Boy, you mentioned it's uh, harder to get like what their motivation is. I haven't had a good read on Boise in years. Like I don't know what's happening there. Like you, it seems like they're playing well for their guy, and that's why they brought him in. But at the same time, like he just kind of beat some teams you were supposed to beat and were more talented. And then your quarterback mm. hit the portal and you still have offensive court. I don't know what to think about this Boise team. Um, so, so yeah, not a strong read. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It, it, I think like on paper, like people will be like, Oh, like Saturday night, like, okay, like this game's like kind of going to be like, like, Oh, you have like Boise, the Mountain West champs against like UCLA. Like they're fun. Like it's actually like not going to be that at all. I think I think it's actually gonna be one of like, it quickly lost a lot of steam when, green hit the portal i was like all right this game might be kind of a slog so no play currently maybe i'll add the under though at this current number it was something i was kind of thinking about in the lead up to this so i think though the nightcap on saturday this is probably going to be in my opinion the most fun game on the opening slate of games it is the independence bowl got cal texas tech Independent Stadium in Shreveport, Louisiana, 9-15 kick on Saturday. This number's kind of hang hung out where it's been Texas Tech, small favorite, two and a half, shaded towards the Red Raiders, so close to three, 58 and a half. We, last I checked, should be pretty much full attendance here for the key contributors. Both running backs are set to play as of now with Jaden on the Cal side and Texas Tech's Taj Brooks. The one key pl- pr- player or key contributor that won't be there is Cal offensive coordinator, Jake Spavadol, which JD spoke about this on the PAC 12 episode. I was high on Cal going into the year. They got that alternate win total home against UCLA, which like I kind of predicted anyway. I said, I was like, maybe UCLA is dead in the water and Cal walks in there fighting for bowl eligibility and gets a win. And they did that. I was very, very keen to that once I was happy about that one. I, uh, but Cal's defense, big issue here. Texas Tech, I'm interested in your thoughts on them. I think this game is going to be one of the more entertaining ones of uh, the early bowl season. What do you think? Yeah, it's a great game. I, I can't take a side. If if I had to, I would just take the underdog. Like If I'm doing a pool, I need more underdogs. I'd take Cal. But um, both teams, like I can't read a lot uh, from their stuff. Like Cal has beaten non-bowl teams, and they've lost every bowl team they've faced, unless I'm incorrect. Um, whereas Texas Tech, besides UCLA, aside from UCLA, and then Texas Tech, uh, there's not a lot impressive here. There's also not a lot super alarming. Like, okay, you lost to Wyoming to start the year, that was bad. But Oregon, you lost, but Oregon's great, and that was a close game with a lot of turnovers. Um, I, I don't see too much bad in there from either side, but not too much good. So it's going to be a lot of back and forth. I make like a meter of uh, injury slash opt out concern level. Um, so I only have Cal at three. It sounds like they're pretty much close to full health. They're down three linebackers, which is bad. Taj Brooks is going to run the ball a lot for Texas Tech. He's coming back next year. Um, both running backs, I think, should have a nice field day here, even without Jake Spavital. Jade not coming back on the side was absolutely terrific. Cal's offensive line came out of nowhere and played great this year. Yeah. Um, and anyway, I have Texas Tech at a six in the opt-out meter. I could, probably could make that 
tire, I guess just getting Baron Morton back finally healthy at quarterback. He's been playing through a grade three AC sprain in his shoulder. They haven't been able to throw a forward pass. They've been playing true freshmen. Um, so the opt-outs have me a little concerned, but Cal, I've been pointing out, we pointed out in the show, Cal's defense just isn't very good anymore. 114th in success rate. Um, this is my long way of saying, I think both teams set up for offensive success here. There is a path where they both just run the ball a lot, but not super explosively. Um, and it kind of just bleeds the clock, but I definitely lean towards the over Cal's been underrated offensively all year. They've been having some good performances. I don't see why they should, wouldn't hear against Texas tech. And then Cal's defense is just, is just no good. And then with a finally healthy Morton and Brooks actually playing, um, I, I could see this one being like a 31 30 type game. Yeah. Uh, Texas Tech, there's definitely more opt-outs on the Red Raider side. That's probably what's been holding the price down. Uh, a lot of guys in the portal, again, it, it's like a weird thing because you don't know if you're in the portal, but you might play or you might jump out of the portal. So, it, again, this is one you might want to wait. I will say, though, so Texas Tech is a team I played the under on early in the season, or I played their win total under because I thought expectation was too high. And – as the season went on, though, to me, Texas Tech became a play on team. I believe that they were kind of left for dead. And if you look at the trajectory of their season, to me, it seems like they are kind of like the kings of the mid. Like they're, they beat the teams that are like them, but they can't punch up in weight. And you mentioned some of the injuries they had all year, but just going through who they beat and who they lost to, I know you mentioned the Wyoming one week one on the road, double overtime. I'm not like giving them a pass, but I'm kind of giving them a pass. Like, it was also week one. So it was so long ago, but look at how they closed the season. They, they lost Morton in the Kansas state game. They end up losing that one. They start the third stringer strong. I believe his name was lose at BYU, but then they get Morton back. They win against uh, TCU, similar kind of competition. I know TCU didn't make a bowl, but you could call them like a mid-tier team. Go to Kansas and win, 16-13. Beat UCF on a block extra point, but still a win. And they get smoked by Texas, but you know Texas in the college football playoff, so no harm in that. I kind of think Texas Tech is a little underrated here. Even with the opt-outs, I like Texas Tech in this one. I think that they're just kind of a step above Cal in this one. And I think, again, more rest for Morton. You're getting Brooks back. I think they could kind of cook in this one. And if you're expecting points, I think I trust Texas Tech's defense to hold up their end of the bargain relative to the Cal side. What do you think about that? I definitely agree. I mean, Cal's defense is, is awful and they're missing their top yeah. three linebackers. And that, that whole scheme is like, okay, let guys get some yards and the linebackers will clean it up. That's why they always have Linebackers who have like 130 tackles happens yeah. every year. Um, just Jackson Sermon got hurt this year, so it didn't happen. But yeah, so I mean, Brooks Brooks should walk to 160 and three touchdowns, like fairly yeah. easily in my opinion. Yeah, player prop over on Brooks. I imagine he, if he's coming back, I imagine he's going to play uh, the full work. Like he's going to get his full serving. I just think I agree with you on the over. Maybe that's best look, but I played some cheap Texas Tech money line. I, I personally think this is one where they – I think flex a little bit. I think it's been kind this is more narrative, but been a tough year for them and more than playing through the injuries. I think they kind of, to me, Cal, I think people are going to look to the three wins in a row down the stretch to get to bowl eligibility, but they lose their OC and play caller. I kind of like the Texas tech side. I also, 
I know the, the years are different, but I remember last year I played on Texas Tech, beat Ole Miss in a bowl game. Like Joey McGuire to me kind of feels like a coach I want to be on in bowl season, the way he calls games too. Maybe that leads to more blowouts, but in these like variance bowl games, I kind of I kind of find myself being attracted to that kind of coach from a betting perspective. So that, that's going to be, I think that's first play that like is still available. I played some Texas Tech. Maybe the opt-outs get worse and this one gets away from us, but um, I, I think this is Texas Tech ran all over them. Also, another thing to note just from my notes, Texas Tech 14th in tackling per PFF. Cal's 105th. You mentioned Cal being an over team all season. I Part of the reason they didn't tackle anybody. So uh, that could also be uh, in a game where there might not be many stops. I trust Texas Tech's defense to get uh, the necessary one. So Texas Tech's small money line there. Uh, minus 140 is what I got. So let's move on. This is now through the weekend. We're out to Monday. The standalone game, December 18th, the famous Toastery Bowl. Uh, Western Kentucky taking on Old Dominion. This is in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, 2.30 Eastern on ESPN. ODU, a juice 2.5, total of 55.5. ODU is a team I played their win total under. And the team won, I think, six games by one score, including the final game of the season where they won one of the craziest results that no one ever talks about. Uh, beating Georgia State, scoring two, uh, scoring twice in the final like minute and a half with no timeouts. Uh, they recovered or they got a stop, got a scored, got a stop, got a safety, uh, and scored again to win at the buzzer. ODU's bowling. JD, do you think they keep it rolling or is this Western Kentucky? Uh, I think they do. Um, I, I, there's injury opts, opt-out concerns for both teams. I have uh, Western Kentucky at a 7.5 concern level and Old Dominion at a 7. Uh, they lose some good players. Nation's leading tacklers hurt and a uh, star safety with 107 tackles. So that, that's a bummer for ODU, but I still like them here because Western Kentucky is missing basically their entire offensive line, and you're going against pretty nasty Old Dominion front. That was 24th in line yards. They're not going to allow anything rushing the ball. It's going to be all on Western Kentucky's passing attack. And they might pass it here. Old Dominion's a, a pass funnel team. But in general, I mean, Old Dominion's been a wagon this year. They're way better defensively. Their main issue offensively is they allow way too much havoc up front, way too much pressure. Uh, Western Kentucky doesn't really have a defensive front. They're 130th in line yards, and they're 114th in front seven havoc. So um, I like Old Dominion. It's, it's a short spread. We got a Sun Belt team that's been good and has played teams pretty close. And then we have a Western Kentucky team that – hasn't really done much of note at all this year has been kind of disappointing and plays in the conference USA. So I lean towards old dominion. Completely agree. Love old dominion in this bowl game. You mentioned West Kentucky, pretty much their entire starting offensive line in the portal. Uh, Austin Reed, the starting quarterback may be sitting in this one. I imagine Malachi Corley, who will be playing on Sundays, probably considering sitting this one out and you get old dominion team that they had a win total three and a half. I mentioned that they won all these games by one score. To me, that is a team that I think is riding high into this bowl game where Western Kentucky, a team that's used to playing in the Conference USA Championship game, fell way short this year. This offense fell off a cliff, uh, losing Ben Arbuckle to Washington State, I think really was a massive change and drop-off in this Western Kentucky offense. You mentioned ODU's defensive line, and they could wreak some havoc. Uh, I think ODU here for sure. especially when this gets to game time. This is one where you might see a bunch of opt-outs, and this line steams way up into 
uh, the Monarchs favor and they close a much bigger favorite. I think under a field goal is way good here. I, I like ODU quite a bit here. This sets up really favorably for the Monarchs. I know you mentioned some of the opt-outs, but like to me, just gauging the state of both programs, I think Western Kentucky's opt-outs are like significantly more impactful. And you go back through like what happened to Western Kentucky this season. Something I noticed just from watching the games, I'm not going to have like the exact numbers up in front of me, but going through their conference USA games, uh, you, you start back at Louisiana Tech. I believe they scored zero points in the second half. Blue, or it, Louisiana Tech ended up making that a game near – had a, the drive. They were down 28 nothing, I believe, or 35-7, something like that. They end up covering. Jacksonville State was down 17, I believe. West Kentucky didn't score in the second half. Jacksonville State rallies to win. Get smoked by Liberty. Had, like, an ugly game against UTEP. Lose to New Mexico State. Skate by Sam Houston, and then you beat a crappy FIU team to finish the season. I just, like – West Kentucky has been overrated all season long and entering this bowl game. I think this one gets away from them. I, I love ODU here. This is one of my favorite bets on the board, to be quite honest with you. So, uh, yeah, keep an eye on, again, we're recording this on Tuesday, but keep an eye on Austin Reed and Malachi Corley Sask. They're out. Uh, like, all bets are off for what you're going to see from Western Kentucky here. This might be one of those where, like, you, you can't even get a number on them because the backup I have down, uh, Veltkamp, He's in the portal, uh, and he hardly plays. Also reads the entire team. Uh, it would be redshirt freshman Turner Hilton that would start if Reed opts out, assuming Veltkamp isn't on the roster. Maybe he stays because uh, um, no, Reed, you know, wouldn't play. Maybe he wants to get a start. But yeah, yeah I think I think it's what Turner Turner Hilton, the third stringer, is probably the yes. coach's kid. So yeah, yes. exactly. So that's one. We'll, that we'll see how that goes. Yeah, Reed is one of those because it's Western Kentucky. First of all, last year he wasn't supposed to play, and then he ended up playing in the bowl game and cooking. So uh, he seems like a guy who waffles when it comes to this stuff. So we'll we'll keep an eye on that one uh, leading up to Saturday or next Monday's kickoff. Uh, Moving to Tuesday, 9 p.m. kick in the Scooters Coffee Frisco Bowl. You have UTSA taking on Marshall. More portal questions here. UTSA went from a nine and a half to a 12 and a half point favorite and the total dropped 55 to 52 and a half. Marshall, their offense was pretty brutal all season long anyway. Cam Fancher was a disaster. And uh, I saw some crazy quotes from like Charles Huff, who was like, yeah, like don't blame him. Like everyone, like it was a disaster. Uh, Cole Pennington, Chad's kid. Uh, he set the start, made three appearances this season no touchdowns three picks uh for the utsa side frank harris expected to play uh but utsa's defense which was much improved this season won't have the aac player of the year trey moore he's in the transfer portal he's definitely leveling up to the p5 or uh yeah p5 ranks any thoughts here jd on the frisco bowl again utsa one of the biggest favorites in bowl season I mean, yeah, I, I see why UTSA is favored here. Uh, Marshall's been a hard team. I considered playing them a few times. Yeah. Um, a hard team to read for me. Mostly what I've boiled it down to, because they've been hit or miss, man. Like he, he, They lose one, two, three, four, five games in a row at, you know, in the middle of the season after you start the year 4-0. So it's like, what's, what's really going on here? The offense looks terrible. They have single-digit points in three of those games. So I basically throw them in the trash. Then they respond and score 38 points and beat Georgia Southern. Okay, yeah. Georgia Southern's not a bad team. 
Next week you come out, you lose 28-0 to South Alabama. So it's back to being shit again. Uh, week after that, you come back, Arkansas State surging. You, you handle business via Arkansas State 35-21. So basically what I boiled it down to is they have been bad away from home. Uh, let's see, ever since beating East Carolina in their first non-conference game, they have lost five straight on the road. So it's hard for me to trust them on the road here. This is in Frisco, Texas. Okay, UTSA basically getting the home game here. Frank yeah. Harris going out. Uh, it's, they get their coach back that everyone thought might leave. Um, I see why it's a spot for UTSA, and I wouldn't talk anyone off. The thing, and then Marshall too, like their defense is usually nasty. They're pretty good again, but they gave up a ton of explosive plays this year, but they were 19th in success rate. So like, it's hard for me to really figure out is, should I throw their offense in the trash? Just when I do and bet against them, they score 38 points, right? Um, do I, do I say the defense has regressed because they have shown pretty strong at points? Uh, here mm-hmm. this year, but overall, I, I cannot trust Marshall, especially backup quarterback, UTSA. Um, UTSA had a had a relatively difficult schedule. Like they didn't play a lot of really tough teams, but they had a lot of like tough games in there where it's like a coin flip either way. So I think here this one is not a coin flip for a reason. Yeah, I my only concern with laying UTSA. So it, this isn't necessarily applicable to everything, but Jeff Trailer. 0-3 in bowl games, 1-2 and two ATS. They look terrible against Troy. Like, maybe some coaches just aren't good. It's something I'm monitoring if Jeff Trailer maybe. Some coaches don't take bowl games seriously. Some guys are, like, the nuts in bowl games, and they're just, like, auto plays. I'm not saying Jeff Trailer is, like, an auto fade. It's just small sample, but it's something to keep in mind. I'm not saying Marshall's going to win this game outright with Cole Pennington under center, but it's something to think about. Um to me, even at 52 and a half, maybe it's the under. Uh, if you're, I, you know, again, this is like a Tuesday standalone game. I Marshall, like they're going to get nowhere on this UTSA defensive line. Even if they don't have more, uh, the Roadrunners are hyper aggressive. Top 10 in tackles for loss, 30th in yards per play overall. Marshall, they're 119th in tackles for loss allowed. Uh, and they've turned the ball over more than any team in the country with 28. Um, so I don't think Marshall's going to do much on offense, but the defense, you know, like you mentioned, kind of hit or miss, but 29th overall in EPA per play. And the defensive line is pretty nasty. 80 for 81 tackles for loss. That's 22nd in the country. Maybe this game's just a little bit more of a grind. Uh, I'm not, you mentioned Marshall, like I feel like a lot of Sunbelt teams, like hyper volatile teams. And we're going to talk about another one in a second uh, with South Alabama, but just teams that like week to week, you are getting like, polar opposite teams and uh this is gonna be a marshall team with pennington that we've hardly seen so tough to get a read if i'm in a pool maybe i'd be contrarian and take the points with marshall like low confidence if you're into that sort of thing uh but like i kind of lean towards the under if i were to play it all right keeping it moving the Boca Raton Bowl, South Florida under Alex Golish. This was a team I was pretty high on going into the year. They end up getting, I didn't know if they were going to go bowling, but uh, they end up doing it. Get a Syracuse team that they fired Dino Babers. I believe Schrader is currently slated to play. Maybe someone you want to watch uh, in the portal. But this number was as high as five. It's down to three in favor of the Orange. Uh, South Florida not playing so far from home at FAU Stadium. Golish is a Josh Heupel disciple. So this is like a super, super fast offense. 
run a ton of plays. They're top five in terms of plays per minute. Take on a Syracuse team that really fell off as the season went on. We're able to dominate a non-con schedule that got them to bowl eligibility. JD, how do you see this one? This game is Thursday night, 8 p.m., uh, December 21st. Yeah, this is one where I'm going to have to talk myself off South South Florida or not talk myself off South, South Florida. It just seems like one where you take the underdog if you're in a bowl pool. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's not anything positive to say about Syracuse, to be honest. <laughs> um, I'm trying to like find reasons why they're not terrible, right? Like towards they, they were terrible in a stretch in the middle of the year, lost 40 to seven, North Carolina, 41 to three, Florida state, 38, 10 to Virginia tech. So they were terrible at a certain point, but those were all road games. That was a brutal kind of scheduling stretch after you played Clemson the week before they came back, they beat Pitt, beat Wake Forest. And, you know, they lost to Georgia tech by one score. Georgia tech's actually pretty good this year. We'll talk about them later. So. Um, I can't totally throw Syracuse in the trash. That's why it's not really a smash hit for me, but they're playing under an interim coach. Their offense doesn't really do anything well. I'm not sure you have to do anything well to score on South Florida, 131st in explosiveness. Um, I guess I could see points like Schrader's supposedly healthy. I think we're seeing LaQuint Allen uh, and anybody with the pulse can score on South Florida, right? So I, I would lean towards points. This is a game I don't really want to pick a side. But if I'm trying this hard just to not take the underdog, I suppose I'm just going to take the underdog. Yeah, I I played South Florida. I just think, again, we're talking like motivation, the way Syracuse finished this year. You have South Florida, first-year head coach, dynamic offense, and they're in their first bowl game since 2018. So I imagine you're going to see some sort of excitement from the South Florida side where it feels like Syracuse kind of heading towards like a rock bottom type thing, and then you get rebuilt um, under the new coach. Love Byron Brown, devastating rusher. I know that plays into the strength of the Syracuse defense, but I just I don't trust Syracuse, a team that you mentioned you could hit explosive on them, but team hasn't really been explosive all year. They're 92nd EPA per play. Uh, I just think South Florida, like under Todd Orlando, that's like a hyper-aggressive scheme. Again, leads you susceptible to big plays, but your top 10 in terms of tackles for loss. Overall, your 41st in success rate, so – Hopefully you avoid too many explosives here. Um, I I think this is like South Florida could I, – I, I trust the dog here. I'd rather take the points than lay them. Syracuse allowed 30 or more to every team but Boston College uh, that were bull eligible. So South Florida fits the bill. So I think that maybe UCF can make this – like play this game in a state that Syracuse doesn't want to play. Syracuse would rather methodically march down the field – I think South Florida wants to fly down the field, and this could maybe get a little like game script dependent. And uh, I like the bull. I like the Bulls catching three for sure. I think they win the game outright. So give me South Florida. Uh, next up, Gasparilla Bowl, Georgia Tech, UCF on Friday, December twenty second, a six thirty kick in Ray- at Raymond James Stadium. So pretty close to uh, UCF. UCF opened a five and a half point favorite, total sixty three. Now. Closer to four sixty four and a half. Uh, JD, I'll pass to you, but this is one of my favorite bowl plays of the year. I like the over. I think there's a chance this game has more points than any other bowl game. I think we're talking like laser light show between UCF and Georgia Tech. These are two teams that play super fast. They are two defenses that are bottom third of the country in terms of EPA per play on defense and their top third in EPA per play on offense. You have two dual threat quarterbacks and John Reese Plumley for UCF and Haynes King for Georgia tech. 
two teams that I respect both play callers. And I think both teams are going to want to just chuck the ball all around the field, run up and down. I think it's going to be a track meet. Uh, Georgia Tech has scored 30 or more in six of 12 games. They've also let up 30 or more in seven of those games. UCF scored 30 in five games, even without John Reese Plumley for some of those. And they've also allowed 30 or more in five as well. I think no stakes. This is purely just points. I, I love the over here. I, I think through 65, you're way good. Is this the best ball game? Probably um, from like an excitement. Yeah, from an excitement standpoint, probably. This game's gonna be like hilarious. There's gonna be chunk plays left and right between these two teams. Yeah, this this game is awesome. I think you hit on it. I, I had circled the over as well. Um, these are offenses have both been absolute metric darlings. Uh, both are top ten in explosiveness. Both both have been terrific. Like all year, I've been checking. Like, are these offenses really that good? And every time I'm wondering, they end up being that good. So I like them. Yeah. And then you you look out. There's not a lot of injury opt out concerns. The ones that are exist on the defensive side of the ball, right? Uh, two of Georgia Tech's top five defenders are out for this one. And then uh, a lot of health concerns with um, with UCF and the secondary. That's been tremendous. Uh, they've been terrible against the rush. Both both defenses outside the top 120 in success rate and in line yards. So they're going to run the ball. And then they could be able to throw the ball with all these guys out. UCF's uh, top-graded uh, cornerback, top-graded defender on their team, her PFF, is out for this one. So I definitely like points. Um I, I I guess if forced to choose a side, I would take the underdog. I don't really understand why there's four and a half points. Yeah. Um, Georgia Tech's been, been a good underdog all year. So yeah, honestly, like if you're doing like like the money money line round robins for bull season, like Georgia Tech fits the bill as like a super volatile, like there might not be any difference between these teams. But like to me, this is just like dead over. Like, let's go. <laughs> let's just get some boys on the board between these two teams. Both teams, like I said, play super fast. I like both play callers. I, I see no reason why we can't get each team into the 30s easily. Uh, again, I, I don't know if this market will ever be there, but like if there's like most points in a bowl, like this is the, to me, this is like up there. It'll probably be lined that way because it's a high total, but I, I love this here. Uh, maybe some alternates as well. Uh, so yeah, over uh, in the Georgia Tech game. All right, moving to Saturday. Loaded slate on the 23rd. We have like seven games and we'll get out of here. Some of these are going to be super boring. Some of these will be pretty exciting, though. Uh, Birmingham Bowl got Troy versus Duke. Both coaches have left. This is a noon kickoff uh, in Birmingham, about two hours away from Troy's campus. Like I said, both coaches are gone. Duke, though, being rated a little bit more aggressively portal-wise, opt-out-wise than the Troy side. Uh Duke, I believe, has lost like much of their staff. Troy, it's going to be the defensive coordinator, uh, Greg Gasparato, staying on. So I think the markets reflected this. They Troy opened a six and a half point favorite. Troy's up to eight as of this writing. Totals up from forty three and a half to forty five. I lean towards Troy here. I simply think, to me, this is the Sun Belt champion. Even without their coach, I still believe that with the DC there, you're going to see the defense, especially show up against a Duke team that started to teeter towards the end of the year when Riley Leonard got hurt. Grayson Loftus, the third stringer got better with every game, but this is a Troy defense. That will be the best he's seen. And it's frankly, one of the best in the country, top 10 in EPA per play Duke going to be without two pass rushers and Oban and Pe- Peebles. I believe I said his name, right? Pebbles, maybe uh, combined for nine sacks as well as one of their starting corners. Uh, Riley Leonard, obviously not there. 
more of the running back, not there. I, I think Troy probably smashes Duke in this one, if I had to guess. At the current, I don't have a bet, but to me, like, there's not much to really say here. This is kind of like a lot of opt-outs, a lot of new coaches. To me, like, I trust Troy more. I'd lay him, honestly. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, this one, I got mad when I saw the number because I was kind of doing my handicapping, looking through opt-outs, whatnot, getting my stuff together before checking the numbers. And I was mad to see Troy this big of a favorite, that's for sure. But, yeah, I mean, Troy's coaching staff is – or, sorry, Duke's coaching staff is gone. Half their team is gone. Like, it's bad. They're not going to have an offense without Riley Leonard because they haven't all year. Um, and I think there's going to be probably more opt-outs to come. Uh, if yep. Dwayne Carter and Graham Barton opt-out, those are their two best players on both sides of the line. I don't really see why either would play here. They have NFL aspirations. So, on my concern level, this one could go up as high as a nine and a half. Like this could be as bad as it gets. And Troy is a solid team, man. Yeah, they lost their coach, but there's still continuity there. They still have most of their players except for one linebacker, right? So I think this is a Troy spot all the way. I'm noting the total because last time I played a Duke total, it was under 45 when they played Wake Forest about a month ago. I think it was a Friday game. Maybe it was a Thursday game. Um, and it hit right on 45. And I couldn't believe I pushed. I didn't understand how Duke could, how, could get to 45 points without Riley Leonard um combined right and that was against wake forest troy has a much better defense than wake forest so mm-hmm. like the under like the under i think I, I don't really see why either team would open it up crazy i like troy the most and i will, will probably also end up with an underplay yeah i, I you know you go back to troy we kind of buried the lead with their lack of opt-outs like you have gunner watson vidal both will be there troy's offense isn't like overly explosive when you look over the balance of the season but they still are going to have their entire offense where Duke is going to have a patchwork team everywhere. So like this is one again, like betting value, you mentioned the under it's been, it's up. So people are betting this over, maybe expecting a Troy, you know, maybe they run wild, but to me, I'm, I'm keeping it simple. I like Troy haven't bet it myself, but um, at the current, but like, to me, this like Troy suffocation blowout name, their number probably goes under because I don't know how many points Duke is scoring here. Like a touchdown might be good. Uh, I think this is, to me, this one looks like a Troy. They get up for this one and like close the chapter on this era of uh, Troy football. Next up, also noon kick from Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, Camellia Bowl between Arkansas State, Northern Illinois. JD, I hope you have a strong opinion here because I don't have a strong one. I, I could give my thoughts, but I don't have much to say here. I think that this game is rightfully lined as a pick it's a true coin flip in my opinion you can get anything here and the under or the over under set at 53 and a half um i think these sunbelt teams these like they're not even middle of the road but kind of the lower sunbelt teams because like pretty much everyone in the sunbelt made a ball right i think these teams are going to drive me mad like we're talking about them we're talking about marshall and there was one other earlier it's really hard for me to figure out. They flip-flop games. Arkansas seems like they're coming on strong because there were people talking out there like they were the worst FBS team after yep. a few weeks. It turns out maybe not. They just got smashed by Oklahoma, <laughs> and Memphis was pretty good. Um, and they turned it on since then, right? They had some good wins. You know, you lose to Troy, Oklahoma, Memphis, Coastal Carolina. I mean, who really cares, right? One touchdown game against South Alabama. Um, so overall, this is a team I'm like, dang. And then they turn on the Jets. They score 77 against Texas State the team I want to be really high on going into bowl season. Uh, they kind of blew it a little bit, losing by 14 to Marshall to end the year. Um, and it's similar to what I was saying earlier. It's hard to really find a rhyme or reason. Um, definitely did not play as well in away games. Um, their biggest away win is what Massachusetts. 
uh, is not great. I guess Louisiana Monroe didn't really beat many teams on the road. So it's hard for me to trust a team with that profile going into bowl season. Um, and my numbers are telling me to bet North, Northern Illinois. My numbers like Northern Illinois. I don't really understand why, because when I watch them, uh, I don't like Northern Illinois. Um, I don't like them at all, but they're fifth in explosiveness defensively. My issue is they, they haven't stopped the rush. Arkansas State is mostly uh, mostly a rushing team now with Rayner, I believe the freshman kid's name is. He, he's, a, he's a very explosive rusher of the football, the dual threat quarterback. Um, yep. So I, I was definitely leaning towards Arkansas State because Northern Illinois defense is good, but the rush defense is really bad, and that's in the MAC. If it's bad in the MAC, it's going to be way worse against the Sun Belt team. So I was liking, I was liking that. And then you look at Northern Illinois; they shouldn't be able to pass the ball here at all uh, without mm-hmm. Rudolph. Rudolph is is out. Trayvon Rudolph is, does everything for their offense. He was recovering from an injury to start the year, was healthy to end the year, and you could tell they were leaning on him heavily offensively to end the year. So without him, that is a an, an enormous loss, an enormous loss in my opinion. Um, but you probably still run the ball against Arkansas State, uh, 121st in power success rate. Northern Illinois wants to run the ball anyway. Um, so I'm kind of flip-flopping back and forth here. Overall, I had more points leaning towards Arkansas State, but by a very slim margin. Yeah, this I I wrote down the under. I don't think I could get myself to play it, especially with the way Arkansas State plays. They play fast, top 20 in plays per minute. Northern Illinois is kind of a snail. They're 100th. Uh, but both teams are just really poor at uh, red zone efficiency. So that kind of led me to the under especially with no Rudolph, like you said, I think he unlocks that whole offense, uh, especially the running game. I think the threat of him let uh, Antario Brown have a big year. I just, I, I don't know if I could get anywhere in this game. You mentioned Arkansas State, tough team to peg. I think the move to Rayner was obviously fantastic and got this team back on track. Uh, the true freshman dual threat, Northern Illinois, their defense, uh, top 40 in both explosive pass and run rate, overall 25th in yards per play. So, like, it makes me think, like, maybe Northern Illinois drags this into a slog and this becomes, like, a low-scoring affair where both teams kind of, like, struggle to sustain drives. Ultimately, I just, like, true coin flip. I agree with it being a pick because it could really go in any direction. I don't have, like, strong conviction here. I, I think yeah. I'm, I'm scarred from Northern Illinois because I, I said I was doing my accounting of all my bets earlier uh, this morning, actually. And I came across when I bet Northern Illinois uh, laying points against Central Michigan. I'm like, look, their defense is playing great. They can run the ball. I like this team better in quarterback Rudolph healthy. And they gave up 37 points to Central <laughs> Michigan, a team that was awful, awful all year in Central Michigan runs for 331 and four touchdowns. But you go through the game logs like that was one of their only bad games. So, yeah. Maybe they just had a bad game. It happens from time to time. Yeah, but I can't trust happens. them. They're, they're on my shit list. Not even list. They're getting cold. Uh, two teams that I are far better than uh, the two we just spoke about. Uh, it's uh, the Armed Forces Bowl. Again, this is Saturday. This is in Fort Worth, Texas. 3.30 kick. James Madison taking on Air Force. James Madison, I, it's going to be really tough to get a read on this team heading into Bulls because you have what could be nobody – or what could be full attendance because they're all in the portal after Kurt Signetti took the Indiana job. That includes the likes of Jordan McLeod, as well as uh, a handful of key contributors just going through the list really quick. Aiden Fisher, uh, Mikal Kamara, defensive lineman, Fisher's a linebacker, as well as Jalen Walker, the other linebacker. You have offensive lineman, Tyler Stevens, and a host of other guys. So apparently they're all playing. To be determined, we'll see. 
Uh, they also lost Jalen Green uh, to an injury towards the end of the season, as well as offensive lineman Tyshawn Wyatt. So those two definitely won't play. Um, to me, with all that uncertainty and the fact that Air Force, who sputtered to finish the season, which coincided with losing Zach Larrier, who might also play in this game, I mean, the market has shifted towards Air Force, and rightfully so. I lean towards the Air Force side. It's inside of three now. Maybe you want to wait until right before to make sure, like, who's on the field and who's going to play. But to me, I like Air Force. I can explain why, but, J.D., I'll pass it to you first. Biggest, biggest stay away for me. We don't know what yeah. either team's going to look like. So I, it's hard for me to have an opinion. Uh, I'll point out, right, uh, James Madison, if, if it turns out the way I think it could, it, like, if all these guys play, because, like, you mentioned it, they're – most are teams in the portal. Their impact players are in the portal. Their guy with 15 and a half sacks is out for the year. Um, but if all those guys play, I think James Madison's going to be a fairly confident bet. Like if I if I know they're mm. going to play. And even then, I'm probably still like in bull confidence. I don't know how much higher I'm going than like 20, even if all the guys play, because they're playing with an interim coaching staff. Like they have to hire coaches just to coach for the bull because they had no coaches. Yep. They're all in Indiana now. But anyway, I just think they're better, man. Air Force head in the wrong direction. Hasn't played a good game. You also cannot trust a word Troy Calhoun says about injuries. Oh, this yeah. guy lies about injuries constantly. So when he says Larry is back, when he says the wide receivers are back, um, he also said Larry, ostensibly said Larry was going to be out for the year. And then he played that same week that he said that. So this is the same season we're talking about. So um, I, I just, I think Air Force is really had the wrong direction. Uh, I will point out service academies. I usually just blindly take them in a bowl unless I have a good reason. So if these guys aren't all playing for James Madison, the analysis totally flips, which is why totally staying away until we have more info. Yeah, this is a game you probably want to bet on this one. I'm not going to guarantee you'll find out Saturday, but close to Saturday, I think you're going to get a better understanding of who's playing in this game. Uh, Larrier, for what it's worth, completely unlocks this team. Uh, the, he was their second leading rusher. And obviously their most potent passer. Uh, he got hurt in the second of what became a four-game losing streak to end the season. Uh, for what's worth, leading rusher Emmanuel Michel did come back in the season finale. Was fairly ineffective, but if he played in that game, maybe they were kind of uh, cycling him back in, ramping him up. He should be good to go with more time off. Uh, to your point, J.D., Troy Calhoun in bowl games – Eight and four against the spread. Uh, service academies typically, like you said, are like super profitable when it comes to bowl season. Low total of 41 and a half. This one inside of a field goal. I expect you're going to see some significant movement in one direction. Like if James Madison's not going to have a bunch of guys, Air Force probably going to close a favorite and rightfully so because you have a bunch of backups trying to cover a triple option. Not fun. Or James Madison gets their full complement of players that want to go out with one more win. Uh, Air Force doesn't start their best quarterback and, you know, James Madison suffocates them and wins. So really tough game to peg. Again, we're recording Tuesday, trying to help as much as we can. Home stretch here. Famous Idaho Potato Bowl, another Saturday kick, 3.30 Eastern. More portal questions here on the Georgia State side. They open a small favorite, uh, move to a pick as of this recording. Totals down from 63.5 to 61.5. Talking Georgia State, they lost their star running back, Sean Carroll. He's transferring to Missouri. It's also unclear who's going to start for Utah State. My gut tells me it's probably going to be Levi Williams, right, Jay? I Maybe you could correct me. It just I get that vibe after he started the finale. 
goes off and they beat New Mexico. He ran for like 150 yards in that game. Uh, so I, I lean towards Levi Williams getting to start, but there's a lot of questions here. Any opinions, any thoughts of how you're looking to attack this one before I uh, give some notes myself? Most of my way with Utah State is, yeah, we haven't known who's going to play quarterback all week. They've been, playing, <laughs> they've been playing three guys. Mostly what I've been saying is if Cooper Lega is starting, I'm probably betting Utah State or the over. If he's not, I have no idea what to expect because they're just not that great as a team. What they are really good at when Cooper Lega is playing, which it sounds like he may not start. He's been hurt a while. Who knows, man? Who knows? Uh, Levi Williams, is he a Navy SEAL? Is he the starting quarterback? Um, stay <laughs> tuned. Right now, it looks like they're going to have most of their whole team, and Georgia State has a ton of opt-outs, big-time opt-outs. They're going to be at least an 8, 8.5 on my opt-out concern level meter. While Utah State right now doesn't really have a whole lot. That being said, they might be on the third-string quarterback. Even on the third-string quarterback, Levi is not your typical third-string quarterback. Has a lot of experience. He's already played pretty well at times this season. Uh, they're they're going to crush this this uh, secondary. Remember, we started the season. The secondary was getting crushed by Kasim Hill, and uh, oh my God, what was that? New New Hampshire. They're getting crushed by some FCS yeah. team to start the year. Um, Rhode, was it Rhode? It might have been Rhode Island. Rhode Island, yes. Kasim Hill, the Maryland transfer, was toasting them. I was like, oh my God, this guy's still playing football. I remember him from like six years ago. Um, Utah State, Levi Williams, whoever's under center, especially if it's Lagarde, they're going to absolutely toast them. Jalen Royals, Terrell Vaughn. So that makes me lean Utah State. But, man, Utah State's not in a very good place as a program uh, playing a Sun Belt team. Hard for me to have confidence, but I, I would take them. They're minus one right now. Uh, I would still take them in my bowl confidence, but no no bet for me. Yeah, uh, random note. This means very little to the game itself, but we're on our uh, one, one hour, 12 minutes here. Uh, Levi Williams. A lot of experience against Georgia State and in the Idaho Potato Bowl. Uh, in the Arizona Bowl, I believe it was, he cooked Georgia State to the tune of a 38-17 bowl win in 2019, passed for 234 yards, ran for 53, four total touchdowns. And then in 2021, put up 52 against Kent State, ran for 200 in that game, four touchdowns, uh, also threw for 127 uh, in this very bowl game. So we'll see if uh, maybe they ride the familiar face and. Levi Williams, like I said, passed for 198, ran for 153 in the season finale. You mentioned all the opt-outs for Georgia State. Makes me very concerned. My inclination is that Darren Granger will play in this game, though. And I actually think I lean towards Utah State, especially like travel also for Georgia State. Not as fun. I kind of like the over. Both defenses are pretty poor. I think with Granger plays, Georgia State's going to be able to find explosives. Running through some numbers here, each team outside the top 100 EPA per rush and also outside the top 100 in tackling. I think that this game might be like super wild back and forth. Uh, going to wait to see a little bit more, but my I wrote down over, um, especially as this keep, keeps coming down, we'll see how low it gets, especially with all the opt-outs. But I do kind of uh, like that play. And you also make a good point about the Utah State side. I think uh, if there's a team that's likely going to close, like if you want some bowl CLV, it's probably all going to be in the Utah State direction if I had to guess. So, yeah, moving on to the 68 Ventures Bowl. I believe this was the uh, also the, was it, uh, Lending Tree Bowl maybe? Uh, that's what it's called now, new sponsor. Uh, 7 o'clock kick, South Alabama, Eastern Michigan, I believe this is the second biggest favorite of all bowl season. South Alabama laying 16 with a total of 47 and a half against Eastern Michigan, who I'm pretty confident saying is 
one of the worst, if not the worst bowl team heading into bowl season. One note, South Alabama, we're talking about these volatile Sunbelt teams. I don't know if that's a credit to the conference or a demerit to this these teams. South Alabama's been a double-digit favorite seven times. They've lost three times as a double-digit favorite. Not sure if that's predictive of anything. It just shows that this is a team that has a lot of highs. They have a veteran quarterback, veteran running back. They had a lofty expectations going into the year. Still really talented, but they just lay a lot of eggs and they get dragged into disadvantageous situations. I don't know if Eastern Michigan's the right team to necessarily uh, take advantage of them, but it's a really big number here, JD. What do you think uh, in the South Alabama Eastern Michigan game? Also worth knowing before I pass to you, it's being played in Mobile, Alabama. So uh, real close uh, game for South Alabama here. Maybe that's playing into this line. Yeah, I was kind of shocked to see Eastern Michigan made a bowl, to be honest. They're, they're not yeah. a good team <laughs> at all. So I do get the line, but yeah, I mean, South Alabama's burned me, man. I was high on coming into the year. I, I started mm-hmm. the year betting them against Tulane. They lost by 20. So, um, you know, flashback, they beat Oklahoma State 33-7 to at one point this year. But yeah, they, they've laid an egg quite a few times this year. Um, I think most of the teams they played Nick two are probably better than Eastern Michigan. But at the same time, this is a team that lost straight up at home against Central Michigan. So I don't really see how you can have a lot of faith uh, in them. Uh, I still I don't have a single positive thing to say about Eastern Michigan on a yeah. no name quarterback, especially. So I I would still lean towards South Alabama. They're just they're a decent football team who laid a few eggs, whereas Eastern Michigan's not good at football. So that's important to me. Yeah, this is one where um, I, I got I got nothing here. Eastern Michigan, uh, Austin Smith hopped in the portal, so it'll likely be Ike Adungwu the third run first quarterback. Really can't throw the ball anyway. Uh, I I don't have much to say here. This is probably like my one where I just have like no interest. Uh, there's a good game we're going to talk about in a sec, or more better teams on the field. I'll, I'll say so. Maybe uh, this is one where I'm not super interested making the case for Eastern Michigan not to win necessarily, but to hang around. Chris Creighton, four and one in bowl games against the number. Uh, South Alabama, uh, their defensive line is nasty. So I don't know how much Eastern Michigan is going to move the ball, but if there's something that they can do, they have a really good special teams unit. Uh, I believe it's top 25 in terms of PFF's uh, special teams grade. So maybe they play field position and just like drag this game out. Uh, and it's just like really ugly. It's a low total. It's a big number too. But like South Alabama, while again, they've lost three times straight up as a big favorite, but uh, they've been able to like smash teams as well. Like you just go through some of their game logs, like this team can run it up. I mean, they're top 20 in terms of EPA per play. And look, they smoked Oklahoma State. Granted, it was before Oklahoma State, but they went back to back weeks where they beat ULM and USM, Southern Miss, a combined score of 110 to 10. So, you know, can this, we, this could get ugly. Can we, I don't know. I, I can't figure it out. Why do we have so many Sunbelt teams that are like so hit or miss? Is it just like, because there's no weeks off, it's a tough league. Every, every, like it's the big 12 in basketball. Like this is really, I, I would probably, me out right now. I'd probably lean towards there's a lot of good relative to Sunbelt expectation. Obviously a lot of good teams in the middle. I don't know if any of these guys are all that bad. I just think it's more a lot of really good teams squished in the middle and a very small, like, punching bag teams. This season it was what, ULM and Southern Miss? I don't believe there's another one. 
I think Arkansas State played themselves out of that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess so. So should we we're, be we're more gonna, forgiving? I'm inter- yeah, I'm I'm interested to see. You mentioned it earlier how the Sun Belt plays in bowl season. It it almost reminds me of like Mountain. I don't know. I believe you're a college basketball guy, but like the Mountain West yeah. and the NCAA tournament. Like they tend to play really tight and competitive, and you know, be an at large bid and have like good like underlying metrics, but get smoked when they start to play like the Big Twelve or the SEC and like those eight nine games. They're like they. I, there's like a crazy number on them. I think like San Diego State was like one of the first teams to ever get out of the first round as a Mountain West team this year. Like they're they're historically a very poor NCAA tournament team. Yeah, I, I remember that because I remember I chose a few of those Mountain West teams to win round one. I was feeling stupid. Like, yeah, why did I go against the grain here? And then as I'm feeling stupid, San Diego State just keeps, you know, keeps winning all the way. Exactly. So uh, it's it's going to be tough. I, I, I agree. I think there's going to be. I think overall, I want to be higher on a team like that. That's more battle tested. Um, For sure. I I think overall, if if I'm still in doubt on these Sunbelt teams, I'm just going to say, okay, you had a few bad weeks in a in a you know a relatively tough league compared to the teams they're playing. A tough league. Um, I think I think I'm overall still going to give them a pass here. Yeah, hundred percent. I was alluding to this game. I don't know if it's necessarily going to be more entertaining, but it is the Las Vegas Bowl between Utah and Northwestern. Uh, A lot of opt outs here on the Utah side. so going to be a patchwork unit taking on Northwestern team that really overachieved this year. Uh, Whittingham, I'm sure is going to get these guys up, whatever's left of them. Bryson Barnes did hop in the portal, but did say he was going to play was adamant about that. He's going to play. So we'll see. I, I, I don't see a reason why not to trust the, the farmer Bryson Barnes, but we'll see if he plays. Uh, Utah has been playing with backups all year. So I don't know if the drop off is going to be that severe to be honest. This is like kind of a system that I think could withstand some opt-outs, but they won't have their leading receiver, Deshaun Vele. He hopped in the portal. Northwestern, I think, I know that like Utah's playing backups and stuff, but like I think Northwestern might be in some trouble here. We were talking about some of that like-minded competition. The Big Ten West has got awful and like full credit to Northwestern for going bowling amidst all that happened. And like shout out David Braun deserves a lot of credit. I think Utah's way more battle tested here, and I think they might like smash Northwestern. I'm not rushing to lay the number. I played the under myself because I think both defenses could kind of dictate the terms here. But like, if I'm like in bowl pools, I like Utah laying the number. I think they might like destroy Northwestern. Look at who Utah struggled against. It was like really explosive, high flying teams. It wasn't Northwestern type teams, you know. Yeah, I think I agree with you. My initial handicap was like, look, obviously I haven't been watching a lot of Northwestern football. I don't think I've watched a Northwestern game. Um, well, obviously I watched <laughs> there's the our big, game. There's our like Big Ten West Coast difference right there because I'm yeah. a big I'm a Wisconsin guy, so I watch all these teams. <laughs> I had no idea they finished the season four and five. I had no idea, and their only loss was to Iowa by three points. I had no idea. I had no idea they made a bowl. Um, but my handicap, I mean, I kind of like what I'm looking at here. Um, overall, I agree with you. Like the teams Utah's lost to Oregon State, Oregon, Washington, Arizona. Uh, in case you haven't been watching Pac 12, those teams are all good. Seems all won yeah. a lot of games. Um, I agree with the under. I agree with the under. I think that's my strongest read. Utah does not have an offense and all the opt outs. Like Vele was their go to guy. Usually Andy yep. Ludwig, right? He has his tight end. He focuses on Dalton Kincaid, uh, Brent Keithy. Didn't have one this year. Vele became that guy at the end of the year, the go to guy. They were actually able to move the ball. They moved back from Johnson to Barnes. And now Vele's out. They don't have that. Um, the opt-outs worry me a little bit with Utah's defense. But even with even if LS opts out, 
Um, even without Broughton, one of your cornerbacks, uh, you're still better defensively than Northwestern, oh, yeah. I think. Um, so I'm not going to lay any points here. I'm going to take Utah on the confidence pool, and I like the under as a bet. Yeah, uh, just some more notes. Northwestern, 108th in pass blocking grade. I know you mentioned some of the opt-outs for Utah's defense concerning you, but like, I think their pass rush is just going to wreak havoc. Uh, 19th in tackling grade, 18th in sack sacks, 13th in yards per carry also. So I, I don't know if Northwestern's really moving the ball. And on the other side, like Utah, Brian has actually, to me, turned out to be okay. But Northwestern, 7th in explosive pass rate and 37th in explosive run rate. So I think that's going to be like methodical drives here. Neither team plays super fast. And Utah, 114th in red zone touchdown percentage. So like with a slow prodding game, I know it's a low total. You know, maybe you think bowl games get – crazy but like if Utah's not converting on those and it's settling for three like all of a sudden this becomes like a dead nut under so like I played the under at 41 and a half I still like it as well I think that this game could really be like Utah 20 to 7 20 you know 20 to 10 just kind of suffocates Northwestern good story I don't know if it's going to translate against Utah a battle-tested team like that all right Hawaii Bowl 10 30 kick on Saturday Obviously in Honolulu, San Jose State out to a 10-point favorite after they absolutely crushed to end the season. Total of 53 and a half. Opt-outs here, uh, I believe a coastal receiver. I'm drawing a blank on his name, but Jared JD, Brown. I'm sure you have. Yeah. Jared and Brown. Jared Brown, he's going to be out. Um, Vasco will be starting in place of Grayson McCall. Vasco, to me, actually acquit himself quite well. Uh, San Jose State played one of the toughest non-conference schedules in the entire country and came out of it a better team. They closed the season huge, won their last six games, scored 35 or more in five of those last six. Cordero went to Hawaii, his homecoming. Uh, they really closed the season strong. Coastal's defense, 112th in tackles for loss. I think San Jose State's going to cook here and is rightfully a big favorite. But is it too much here? Because Vasco, like I said, I think did a pretty decent job when he came in as a true freshman. Sure, they scored only 14 against JMU, but put up 28 against ODU and 31 against Texas State. I still don't think the San Jose State defense is all that great. Are you leaning San Jose State smash again, or maybe Coastal could hang around what's now? I mean, you know, two scores. I like San Jose State, but yeah, big, big enough yeah, spread. It's a big, it's a big I think everyone likes San Jose State, but like, yeah. You're late. <laughs> it's no. too late. Yeah, not what I was expecting to see. Like I said, I, I do my handicapping before I check the lines. I I did not I did not like it that that wide is what I'll say. Um, they've been great. They've averaged six point six yards per player better in each of their last seven games. Uh, and the one game they didn't, they dropped forty two against Utah State. So they're cooking. And the defense was god awful to start the year. But you mentioned it; they were playing some good offenses. Um, they've really, really, really tightened the screws. Um, the only time they showed a little bit of weakness was against UNLV and that offense was very unique and it was cooking as well yeah. under Brett and Marion. So I, I think they're playing pretty good football and I have coastal Carolina at eight and a half on my injury opt out concern level. That might be a little high, but, um, I agree Vasco. I kind of like the kid like, uh, when he, he, I believe he was originally at Kansas and I had him circled as a kind of fun little dual threat guy for college fantasy. Um, he looked okay, but without without one of your running backs, Beasley, uh, Jared Brown is is amazing. That wide receiver, he's really really good. Here, that was a starting run uh, linebacker, and they were a little banged up aside from that too. Um, 
Hard for me to go on San Jose State. Uh, let's see. What's the total on this one? Okay. That was what, that's what that's where I'm looking in this one. I kind of like the over here. Yeah. With both these teams, 53 and a half, pretty, you know, moderate in my opinion. And again, I'm not in love with the San Jose State defense. It's been more of the offensive jump. Get this. San Jose State last in a red zone touchdown percentage. They are allowing six on 83% of opponents drives. So if you're getting inside the 20, you're scoring six. And I trust this Coastal Carolina offense, even with Vasco, to get inside and, you know, convert on those. And you look at how San Jose State's totals have been lined going into the close. This is a, like a drop in expectation. UNLV yeah. game, total was 58. Utah State, you know, I'm just going a little bit, for, but San Diego State even, 48. And San Diego State's offense is anemic. Fresno State game. That one closed with a total of, where am I? That one closed with a total of, it's not going to tell me. Hold on. I'm going to pull it up now as I uh, filibuster. But to me, I think now where this number is, um, I I kind of lean towards the over quite a bit here um, between these two teams. Why can't I pull up? Which game are you looking? I got it pulled up. Which one? Uh, Fresno State. Uh, 51 and a half. Easy. That one was low. Utah State. Uh, yeah, and they crushed the over. Uh, Utah State, I see, was 65. So, San Jose State has been a dead over team all season. And I don't really see a reason to go against them here at what's a pretty moderate total. I think I agree with you. I think I agree with you. They're they're kind of a different style too than these Sunbelt teams. Some of these Sunbelt games, because uh, I was on some Sunbelt overs, I just felt stupid for it. Like the numbers told me it was a play, mm-hmm. but like they're just they're mostly running teams, right? There's not like unless there's explosive rushes, like that's kind of how the Sunbelt operates, right? And you kind of just fall into like an NFL style game flow where you're moving the chains. Yeah. Um, San Jose State hasn't been that dude. Like I said, they've been putting up absolutely insane. Like that's the kind of game Brennan wants to get into, and I, I think he yeah. can here because he he has he has consistently. So I agree. I think I like the over. Maybe maybe a low number is if people don't think Vasco can play, but I'm with you. I think Vasco's impressed me a little bit, and their offensive line um, should have an advantage here. They don't have a great offensive line, but San Jose State, man, like 128th in line yards, like they don't get a ton of push up front. Um, so I think they're going to be able to run the ball, kind of do what they want here. So I like the over. I like the over. I might end up on that one. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna. We're gonna add that to the card. I I like that. I got your agreement too. That was one I had circled, and I'm happy. Uh, you join with. And before I lock that in, Pickney should be in, right? Uh, he should be. Yeah, I haven't seen these out. That He's an NFL talent, in my opinion. Every time I watch Coastal, I'm always impressed. But yeah, all right, there we go. There is our first, took us an hour and a half, but uh, there's our first foray into bowl season, bowl 16th through the 23rd. Uh, if you made it this far, here are my best bets, JD. I know you're a little later to uh, pull the trigger on these, but you know any other leans or any other opinions you want to give, uh, even for some of the later bulls, if you want to give like even a CFP thought, by all means. But for me, uh, Texas Tech money line minus 140, Old Dominion money line minus 130, the under 41 and a half in Northwestern, uh, South Florida plus three, Georgia Tech over 64 and a half, and I'll add that over 53 and a half between San Jose State and Coastal and the Hawaii Bowl. So there's our first batch of plays. And the tracker will have that, which is inside the um, podcast description. JD, before I let you go, 
plug your stuff. And like I said, if you have any other thoughts like CFP stuff, please feel free. Uh, all yours. I know I cut you off at uh, kind of some of the earlier bowls. No, you're good. Uh, pretty much touched on what I wanted to hit on. Um, I don't really have many CFP thoughts because I'm one of those people who still gets in their feelings that Florida State's left out. So I don't even want to watch that crap. Uh, <laughs> but I will, and I will love the games. I just don't want to pump them up anymore. Um, uh, go Washington. They're going to lose, but go Washington. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at YonkersCFB. Uh, I have bowl picks coming out for covers. We'll do some previews starting this week. Saturday, we'll get some picks up. Um, just finished off a nice season. I'm glad to do that. And then Debbie Watch, we have our DFS breakdowns. Of course, we're doing all the DFS and props over at Debbie Watch, so give me a look there. Um, other than that, was really glad to be on. We, we covered these games pretty pretty well, I thought. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you're doing the DFS stuff for bowl games? Yeah, yeah. So there's a few slates. So like Saturday's a big one. Um, what is it? The five-game slate during the day, two-game slate at night. Um, and then there's like – it gets a little weird. But the, when there's one game, I don't I do not do it. But every time there's more than one game, so there's like a, a classic slate. There's a multi-game slate. I try to cover every single one over at Deverwatch. Absolutely. So go check that out again. That's JD. He's at YonkerCFB on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Reed Wallach, the bet stamp at RW33. For all my bets and then the plays I just shared, they're in the uh, Google sheet that's linked below. Until next week when we go through the rest of the plays, enjoy bowl season. Hopefully some of these bets hit. We get off to a hot start, and I'll talk to you next week.